Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, if you're new to Jacobswell, I think it's important that you know that there are two uh, controversial subjects that we have unanimously agreed upon here at Jacobswell Church. And the first controversial subject is the greatest movie of all time, uh, which we have unanimously agreed is what? Rocky IV, right? Rocky IV <laughs> is the greatest movie of all times. Uh, the second thing that we have unanimously agreed upon is that outside of Christian music, the greatest genre of music is country music. That's right. Yes and amen, the congregation says. Absolutely. And the reason is because country music has a depth to it that the other genres of music don't quite have. For example, 20 years ago, it's hard to believe it was that long ago, 20 years ago, Tim McGraw uh, sang a song called Live Like You Were Dying. 20 years ago. It's hard to believe that's that old. Uh, but, but in that song, there is a man who gets his test results back that he has terminal cancer and has a year left to live. And he's asked the question, what do you do when you get those types of results? What do you do when you find out that you have less than a year to live? And he responds, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Drew Manchu. That's right. All the faithful speak up. I love to hear it. It's good. Yep. Says, and I love deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I have been denying. He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't, and I became a friend a friend would like to have. All of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition, and I went three years that year I lost my dad. I finally read the good book, and I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And then the chorus. Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. This song obviously struck a chord with many people because it was enormously successful. It was the number one song for nearly two months and it was uh, rated the best country song of the year. It's such a powerful chorus that makes you ask the question, man, like if I had one year left to live in my life, how would I live that one year? And why am I not living that way right now? And there might be good reasons, but, but what's keeping me from living as if I was dying? Because shh, we are, <laughs> right? The song asks that question, how would you live like you were dying? I want to modify that question just a little bit. It's kind of under that umbrella. But today's passage asks us, how would you lead if you led like you were dying? How would you lead if you led like you were dying? How would you spiritually, since how would you spiritually lead others if you led like you were dying? Now you may say, you know what, I, I'm not a spiritual leader, um, but chances are you probably are, whether you know it or not. Uh, if you have friends, 
Uh, if you have acquaintances, if you have coworkers, you are a spiritual leader in those spheres. If you are a mother, if you are a father, if you are a grandma or a grandpa, you are a spiritual leader in those spheres for better or for worse. You may be a horrible spiritual leader or you may be a great spiritual leader, but you are a spiritual leader of some kind. And so the question is, how are we called to lead like we are dying? Because we are. If you would, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a red Bible in the seat in front of you. Go ahead and grab one. If there isn't, there are some in the back. Feel free to get up and go get one. You always need a Bible here at Jacobswell Church. Uh, Just want to let you know that. Keep the Bible open during the whole sermon because we'll go back to it time and time again. Just to give you the context if you haven't been around. uh, If you remember after God had delivered uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt, he takes them to Mount Sinai, prepares them to go into the promised land, takes them to the edge of the promised land, says go in and take it. And they say, no thanks, we're not going to do it. They're too big, they're too strong, we can't do it. And because of their rebellion and their denial of the power of God, God sends them the time out for 40 years in the wilderness, right? To go and think about it a little bit. And so they go out and think about it. And all of the soldiers, 20 years and older, who, who did not want to go into the promised land, die off in the wilderness. God then re-prepares the next generation to take the promised land. And we saw the end of this last week in some ways with the covenant renewal in which the people of God uh, are reminded of the holiness of God and they repent of their sins and they are reminded of of the forgiveness that is theirs in God if they repent of their sins. And then they are encouraged towards obedience to choose life, to follow the Lord instead of choose death and follow fear and follow sin. In today's passage, Moses' life is drawing to an end. Moses is celebrating his final birthday and he sets for us a wonderful example of how we ought to lead like we were dying. So let's start by reading Deuteronomy 31. We'll start with verses 1 through 6. We'll make it through the first 15 verses by the end of the sermon. But let's start Deuteronomy 31, verses 1 through 6. This is God's word. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord, your God himself, will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. Verse four. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroys them, destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Lord, we are a needy people. We are a people that are prone to wander, prone towards apathy, prone towards trying to 
fulfill all of our selfish desires instead of leading as you have called us to do. And so God, pray that you would empower us by your spirit, open our ears to hear what you have to teach our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you think about it, most historical accounts or books and movies about great people and great heroes are not simply about those who lived like they were dying, but about those who selflessly led like they were dying, right? Whether that be Jim Elliott, Abraham Lincoln, William Wallace, or Rocky IV, right? In today's passage, Moses is 120 years old, almost double the American retirement age, and he is still spiritually leading the people of God. And he today commissions his successor, Joshua, who is at the young age of 80 years old. This reminds us that our spiritual influence does not die until the day that we die. In today's passage, in this transition of spiritual leadership, we see a model of how a Christian, regardless of their age, ought to spiritually lead like they were dying. And so the first thing we see here about how we should lead like we were dying is that we should lead by proclaiming God's powerful presence. Let's look at verse one and two again. Verse one says, so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Happy birthday, Moses. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. Notice here, before Moses, and he's gonna get there, proclaims the powerful presence of God with Israel. First, Moses proclaims his powerlessness. Moses proclaims his weakness. He shares his physical weaknesses. He says, I can no longer go out and come in. I'm not very mobile anymore. I'm weak, I'm frail. But more importantly, he reminds them of his own spiritual weakness that the Lord has prohibited him, him from going into the promised land. And we'll talk more about the reason for this next week, but they know the reason why Moses cannot go into the promised land is because Moses rebelled against the Lord. But here's the point. Moses knows this. If you want to proclaim the power of the Lord, you must first admit your own powerlessness. If you want to give credit where credit is due, you must first confess that you don't deserve the credit. And then God gets all the glory. You know, in seminary, we were trained to do this on Sunday mornings when we preach, to confess our own weakness and our sin. And, and by God's grace, I got a lot of it to confess. So I have a huge arsenal of, of sin to confess. And just every time I read the scripture, I, 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 I see in new light sin that's in my heart and in my life that I never saw before. I mean, just over the past three Sundays was able to confess uh, my weakness uh, in terms of of, of my laziness, of my rebellious heart, of my fear of man. And, and that's just three weeks. Like every week, God exposes my shortcomings. And, and the reason why we were trained to share with you our sin struggles and our shortcomings is so that you are never tempted to think that Pastor Dan is the hero, but so that you will always know 
that of my story and of your story and of every story that God is the hero. And so let me ask you, those that you have spiritual influence over, whether it be a coworker or a child or a spouse, are you confessing your weakness? Are you confessing your limitations? Are you saying, I'm not gifted in that area or I don't have the strength for that? Or are you even confessing your sin? I know this is hard for me to do because of my pride. It's hard for me to confess my sin to my wife. It's hard for me to confess my sin to my children. But if you want to proclaim the power of God, you have to confess the sinfulness of your soul. And so after confessing his own physical and moral weakness, Moses again points us to the power of God repeatedly throughout this passage. Look at verse three. It says, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head and the Lord, as the Lord has spoken. Again, this is the transition in leadership. Verse four, and the Lord will do to them, the inhabitants of Canaan, as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. So again, we see this repeatedly, but Moses has hope in the future powerful presence of God by looking back at the powerful presence of God and his faithfulness. And so what he's pointing to here is a battle. God tells them when they're wandering in the wilderness to go through the valley of Armon, promising them great victory over a mighty people. And so sure enough, Israel goes in and they wipe out this people and take over the land. We have a picture of it here. You can see this is the Jordan River. Canaan is over here. This is the promised land. I should probably point on this side for those looking at home. This is Canaan, the promised land. But over here, God gives them this land in a mighty and glorious victory. And then this land is ascribed, I think, to the tribes of Reuben and one other tribe. But, but this is a foretaste of the power of God, the powerful presence of God for the people of God to conquer the enemies of God and deliver on the promises of God. And he says, just like God did there, he will do for you in the future. Again, another reminder of if we want to point and proclaim to the powerful presence of God, we have to tell our story. We have to tell the story of God has powerfully worked in our own life. You have to tell people of how you came to faith in Christ. Tell your children, how did you come to know Jesus? How have you seen God protect you? How have you seen Christ shape you into the person you are today? The, one of the themes for, the theme for this year's small groups, we, we've done a lot of training to try to figure out how to do small groups better. One of the things is they create a theme for the year. And so the theme this year is story. And so one of the things you're gonna do in small group is you're gonna share your story. You're gonna testify to the brokenness of your life, but the power of God, the powerful presence of God who has redeemed you and rescued you and grown you in his grace. We must recount, tell stories, testify to the power of God in the past so that we can have certain hope for the powerful presence of God in the future. Verse five continues. He says, and the Lord will give them, the people of Canaan, over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Verse six, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Why? And here's the important part. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. 
He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. Do you hear the theme? For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord, the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. You know, oftentimes when we hear the exhortation, hey, be strong, be courageous. When we hear that, we think it's something that we dig deep down inside and pull out of us, that we are a strong person, that we are a courageous person. But this is so foreign to the mind of Moses. This is not what Moses is thinking of all. Moses is saying, dig down, dig down inside and pull out your courage. His courage, his, his exhortation to, to be strong and to be courageous is, is focused on the powerful presence of God alone, that God is with you and will never leave you or forsake you. Ten times in these first eight verses, almost an annoying amount, the people are reminded that the Lord goes before them, that the Lord is with them, and he will be mighty in victory. This year, I'm coaching peewee football. I think I shared that with you before. It's my final year, so I'm making my official announcement. This is my retirement year. I'm done after this. My sons grow out of it. Um, anyways, our first game was two weeks ago, and we were missing our best player on the team, and we got demolished. Uh, it was 25-0. I think it was 21-0 after the first quarter, and then they lit up on us. Um, it was really, it wasn't good. Um, but then our best player came back, and uh, he is a man among boys. Uh, and on Thursday night, we had a scrimmage, and I think we had him carry the ball eight times, and he scored seven touchdowns. Uh, he is going down the field and he is just like stiff arm for you, stiff arm for you, stiff arm for you. And then like, not only just like that gentle stiff arm, but like, I'm going to take you and turn you upside down with a stiff arm. So kids are landing on their shoulder pads. Next time he's running, they're like running in the other direction because he is like a man among boys. And so this gives our team great confidence and great encouragement, right? Like, and so Yesterday we won. Yay, right? And, and what was he doing? Stiff arm, stiff arm. Nicest kid in the world, but you don't want to tackle the guy because he just stiff arms everyone. What changed between game one and game two? It was a powerful presence. <laughs> it was a powerful presence of someone who could come and defeat all of our enemies. It's a silly illustration. But do you believe that God is powerfully present with you? Do you believe that God is on your team? Do you feel like, do you know that he is working on your behalf to accomplish his purposes? Verse six, be strong and courageous. Do not fear being dreaded them. Why? Not because you're great. It says, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. God is with you. His powerful presence resides inside of you through his Holy Spirit. It is with you right now. It is with you as you leave this building. It is with you in the car ride home. God is with you all the time, and his power is available to you. And so Christians, how should we lead like we are dying? Well, we should proclaim the powerful presence of God. That alone could be a sermon, I know. But we must confess our own weakness and that we are not the hero of our story. But God, through his powerful presence, is the hero of our story. We must tell people, testify to the power of God in our life, that they might have the hope and the confidence of the powerful presence of God for their future battles as well.
So first, proclaim God's powerful presence. The second is confirming God's courageous commissioning. We'll see here first Moses speaks and commissions the people of God, uh, and then he moves on to Joshua as well. Look at verse 3 with me again. Uh, we'll skip around here a little bit. Verse 3, the Lord your God, see if you can detect their, their commission, what their mission is. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy the nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. Verse 6, again, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 7, the Moses summoned Joshua, so he's commissioning Joshua and said to him, in sight of all the people, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall put them in possession of it. So the mission is fairly straightforward, right? What are they supposed to do? They're to go into the promised land and take the promised land. But to do this takes courage, right? To do, to do this takes strength. It's not an easy task. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. The commissioning continues down below, verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the day is approaching when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tent of meeting, that I, the Lord God, may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. Kind of like as a bodyguard, it seems. I don't know. But skip down to verse 23. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and courageous. There it is. Do you think God's trying to tell us something? Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. God's calling is clear. Here is what you are to do. You are to go in and to take the promised land. This does not mean that it is an easy mission. They are called to be strong and courageous because it is a scary mission. It is an uncomfortable mission. It is a difficult mission. And even for some, it will be a deadly mission. It is a mission that God has given that takes courage and fortitude. Courage is repeated so many times here. I think it's important for us to kind of have a working definition of Christian courage. And so I took a shot at it. Here's what I got based on this passage. Christian courage is faithfully fulfilling your calling with the confidence that the Lord God is powerfully present with you and for you. Let me read it again. Christian, it's a long definition. Christian courage is faithfully fulfilling your calling with the confidence that the Lord God is powerfully present with you and for you. Of course, one of the greatest biblical illustrations of this is David, David and Goliath. If you remember uh, when Israel is, is, is in the promised land and the Philistines attack them, this great giant Goliath comes out and he taunts the, 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 the soldiers of Israel. Everyone is scared of this guy because he's huge and powerful and strong. Even the king who's supposed to go fight him is afraid of him. And yet David has this uncommon courage that no one else seems to have. And the question is, how does he get this courage? Well, we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Verse 43, it's about 10 verses, but it shows us what, what Christian courage looks like. It says, And the Philistine, Goliath, said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. This was a scary opponent. Then David said to the Philistine, 
you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead body of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Why is David so courageous when the rest of Israel is so afraid? It's because he is not fixated on the enemy, but he is fixated on the powerful presence of God. Christian courage, faithfully fulfilling your calling with the confidence that the Lord God is powerfully present with you and for you. Christian, I don't know if you know this, but the Lord God has actually given you a mission as well. He has given you, he has commissioned you, in fact. The Lord Jesus has. Matthew 28, the Lord Jesus says, all authority, all power, all dominion, all strength, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then here is the secret to the success of the Great Commission. Jesus says, just as God did in Deuteronomy 31, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. God has given us a commission. God has given us a mission greater than the mission that Israel was given in Deuteronomy 31. You see, Deuteronomy 31, they were told to take over the land of Canaan. Christ's church is told to take over the world, to take over the world, to spread the kingdom of God in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our city, in our neighborhood, but throughout the entire world to bring forth the good news of Christ and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And this is scary to do. We are so afraid that people will reject us or say mean things to us, and we are frightened to do so. But can't we go forward to love our family, to love our neighbors, to even love our enemies, not fixated on them, but fixated on the powerful presence of God that goes with us? Christian, we must cast aside our cowardice and embrace our courageous calling and remind one another of our courageous calling to seek first the kingdom of God to be strong and courageous, not to be mean, not to put nasty stuff on social media, but to courageously go and to love people with the truth of the gospel. For Jesus is with you to the end of the age. So just to recap, we are to lead like we are dying by proclaiming God's powerful presence, uh, which we must do before we confirm God's courageous calling on our life. Finally, we are to lead like we are dying by wedding God's wonder-working word. Not, now, when I say the word wedding, I don't mean it as a noun, like a wedding ceremony, but as a verb that we are to wed two things together. And that's what we see Moses is doing here. He is wedding together the people of God with the word of God. Verse 9. Then Moses wrote this law, probably talking about Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 30. And gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel, 
And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law, Deuteronomy 1 through 30, before all Israel in their hearing. All right, so annually there was this Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths was a time where they celebrated how God had provided for them in their wandering in the wilderness. He provided manna, he provided water, he provided food, shelter, all of that for them. They would come together and celebrate this five days after the Day of Atonement. And in that, they would also celebrate something called the Year of Release. And the Year of Release was when the Israelites, the people of God, had to release or forgive the debts of their fellow countrymen, the other Israelites. And this would be an experiential reminder. As they were forgiving the debts of others or as they were experiencing the forgiveness of others, this would be an experiential reminder of how the Lord had forgiven all of their debt. You see, Deuteronomy, if you read through the book, it starts with the people's rejection of God to go in and to take the promised land. And then it continues with their judgment upon them as they go and wander in the wilderness. It also tells us of how God provides for them in the wilderness and the second giving of the Ten Commandments. But then as we read last week, it culminates with this covenant renewal in which the people repent of their sin. And they turn to God and receive his forgiveness. There's little doubt that when this was read every seven years, that there would be a time of confession after and a time of receiving the, the forgiveness of God and restoration with God. You see, Moses wanted to make sure that, that no matter how many times they did or didn't retell the story of Deuteronomy in their own tribes, that at least every seven years, the gospel of Deuteronomy would be proclaimed again. You see, God's word is so important to us because it tells us the truth about us. It reminds me of my daughter, Carissa. Um, I, there, a couple years ago, we were getting ready to go to Florida. And so I shaved my beard and my mustache, everything. Uh, so it was just, everything was nice and smooth. And I did it late at night, trying to surprise the kids in the morning. And my daughter, Carissa, comes down the next morning and she's just, you know, kind of groggy. And, and she looks at me for a minute and she says, Dad, you look awful. And, and, then, and then she goes and eats breakfast. That's it. Like, it's great. Like, she's completely honest, right? Kind of like a mirror, right? No, maybe no one else will tell you about a blemish or you have food in your teeth. But if you look in a mirror, a mirror is brutally honest, isn't it? It never lies to you. The word of God never lies about your spiritual condition. It is brutally honest about your moral condition. It tells you that you are a sinner, that you have messed up, and that you need a Savior that can only be found in Christ. And so Moses wanted to make sure that they heard the gospel of Deuteronomy again and again and again of how even though we stray from God, his forgiveness is available to all who repent. Verse 12 continues. It says, assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourners within their towns that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the word of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. What does it mean? Moses wants them to fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Why does Moses want them to fear the Lord? It seems a bit archaic, doesn't it? 
Well, well, the fear of the Lord that Moses is hoping that the reading of Deuteronomy invokes in the people um, is different for a Christian and for a non-Christian. You see, for a non-Christian, when they hear about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of our soul, we should fear God as judge, be afraid that he's going to punish us as our sin deserves, right? And, and through this, that we should repent and turn to Christ for our salvation. But for the believer, it's very different. For the believer... We're to fear the Lord as a father who loves us and cares for us and who seeks to discipline us for our good because he cares for us. I know even I had a healthy fear of my earthly father because if I got out of line, out of love for me, he would discipline me. It didn't mean I didn't receive his love or know his love or experience his love. It didn't mean I didn't love him. And matter of fact, it communicated his love for me because if he didn't discipline me, he would be a negligent father. It's because of his love that he disciplined me, and it's because he lovingly disciplined me that I feared him. And so he says, read this law. Remind them of the holiness of God, your sin. Call them to repentance. Call them to new obedience. Call them to fear the Lord your God. Let me end with this. Um, in today's passage, there is a significant transition in leadership from Moses to Joshua. We can relate to this here in Green Bay. I don't know if you know, but this afternoon there's a football game going on, and uh, there's going to be a major transition in leadership, right? All you need is love. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers, gone, right? Jordan Love is a new guy. Major transition in leadership. And the hope that the Packers fans can have uh, is not necessarily in those two quarterbacks, uh, because that leadership is always transitioning, but it is in a leadership that has not transitioned. The leadership of Brian Gutekinds and Mark Murphy and Matt LaFleur, those leaders who are not transitioning, who, who think they know what is best for the team to be successful. You see, even though there is a transition in leadership on the field, uh, there is not a transition in leadership in the front office. The same was true of Israel. <laughs> There's a transition of leadership on the field. It went from Moses to Joshua. There's a transition of human leadership, but there was going to be no transition of divine leadership. You see, the success of the mission was not dependent on the giftedness of the leader, but on the God of the leader. Friends, not to be morbid, but tomorrow I could get hit by a bus and the great hope that I have is that the fruitfulness and success of Jacob's Well Church is not dependent on the ever-changing leadership of this church, but the unchanging leadership of God who calls us to be strong and courageous in our calling and promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this reminder that we are not just eking out an existence on this earth, that we are not just called to retire and to be apathetic, but that we are called to something courageous. We are called to be spiritual leaders in our friend groups, in our households, in our workplaces. We are called and commissioned to make disciples of all the nations. God, we confess that we are often fearful 
And so pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would overwhelm us and fixate us on the powerful presence of God that is with us wherever we go and whatever we do. May we walk in that confident hope, not in ourselves, but in the God who is with us. Help us, we pray, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.